are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Poor and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast. In case you are new to us, we are two friends that love to get together to talk about the Bible, Jesus, theology, life. We usually sit around with our Bibles open and maybe a cup of coffee or hot chocolate, and we sort of envision you as a listener um, sitting in with us and listening to our conversations. So, Today we're going to have a special recording, a special discussion regarding Christmas, um, and uh, we're uh, excited about that. But before we get started, uh, I want to welcome my good buddy, the Reverend C.L. Mitchell. C.L., hey, pastor, how are you? Bishop, <coughs> how are you doing, man? Monsignor, I'm doing good. <laughs> I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? I am well. Yeah. And Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. And Christmas is almost here. Can you believe that? It is, you know, when you are a child, you have such anticipation leading up to it. When you're an adult, you can never get in front of it in order to be well prepared, at least in my opinion. I know, and as a child, it seemed like Christmas would never come. Right. But as an adult, you're like, wait, Christmas is here already? I haven't gone shopping, you know. I um, wouldn't say that publicly. <laughs> 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 no, nobody heard that, okay? Well, we'll cut that up. Hey, thank God for certain... Uh, you know, last minute shopping, you know, gift cards, you know, always give somebody a gift card, you know, the most impersonal gift you can get somebody. It just means you don't know somebody or you, or you don't care. Anyway, we, we love to have fun. Uh, today, we're going to, we're going to talk about a very familiar passage of scripture that uh, you've probably, if you, if you go to church, uh, you've heard sermons about, or they're on your greeting cards or something, but it's from the book of Isaiah. And, uh, uh, it's uh, Isaiah 9, 6, where it says, For um, a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's a familiar passage, and we're going to take some time really talking about the names of of Christ and what he, he's known by. And really, you know, obviously Christmas is about Jesus. It's about the birth of Jesus, the uh, the gift of God given to us. And uh, we love, I don't know about you, I love exchanging gifts on Christmas. I love doing Christmas caroling and having the family over and being with friends and and just um, watching Christmas movies. But at the end of the day, it's about Jesus. And we're just uh, delighted to, uh, to maybe sort of expound or discuss uh, our Lord. And so um, let's do that. How does that sound to you? I don't you know, it sounds good to me. But I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it what too. What a marvelous time to to discuss uh, our God and, frankly, any person within the Holy Trinity. Yeah. Well, and this is, of course, you know, we always picture Jesus as this child, this baby, right? We always, you know, this. You know, we have a nativity scene, you know, with the with the which I love setting up with the with the baby Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and everything else. But we forget that he was—he's not—he's not a baby anymore. He—he—he's <laughs> full grown, and uh, he's our Lord. But his name—that uh, his name that he's known—and and Isaiah only focuses on in this text really just four key names. But I mean, the Lord's known for many different things, you know. And maybe we can get into some of these other names that he's known for: the Emmanuel, God with us, things like that. But something about about Jesus and what he will be and what he will bring, you know, that gives hope, that is meant to give hope to the world and give hope to mankind, uh, um, that uh, that I don't think we'll ever uh, tire, I don't, I'll never tire discussing Jesus, you know? You know, John, what you bring up is really the doctrine of the knowability of God. Yeah. Um, and tersely stated, God can be known. Of course, we have that argument from Scripture, Psalm 19, right. Romans chapter number 1, right. verses 18 through 21, right? Romans chapter number 2, verses 14 through 15. Um, 
Psalm 19 argues that God is known in creation. Right. Uh, Romans chapter number one, verses 18 through 21 argues very much the same thing. Romans chapter number two argues that he's known in conscience of man. Right. Right. Because God has made it evident within them, um, He has also made it evident to them in Romans one. Right. It's it's what um, uh, Saint Augustine and and Calvin would refer to as the sensus divinitatis. Right. Right. A sense. You've been of practicing the your Latin, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's very. <laughs> You know, the name of your church is Veritas Church, so you, have, you better practice your life, but go on. Yes, sir. And so it's it's the sense that God has placed a void or a vacuum right. within man that cannot be filled uh, properly without him. And so there's this longing, right? However, the doctrine also argues that while God is knowable, um, um, Jeremiah chapter number nine, let he who boasts boast in this, that he knows the Lord. Right. But it also argues that he is inexhaustible so that we cannot know him or any one thing about him exhaustively. So, so we seek to know him, uh, yet uh, he is the infinite subject that will never grow boring, even within the framework of it's, eternity. It's interesting because it's almost like he is, 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 he has planted eternity within our hearts. He's, um, what is it, Augustine says something to effect of, uh, the heart is restless until it finds its, its rest in thee. So there's this, this hunger and this longing for God that maybe some people trying to stuff that and ignore that and and deny that, but he has put in within each person this longing to know God, this longing to to know their Creator, our you know our Creator, and which is a wonderful thing, you know. I mean, if you're if I'm a Creator, I, I would want to put some desire to want to know, but there's this yeah this this desire, and we can know Him. In various ways, obviously, you know, creation, general revelation points to general facts about God, but really, ultimately, God is revealed most fully in His Son Jesus, and so. Um, but you were you were you were in a, on a roll there with your with your with your Latin and pulling out Calvin and Augustine. That's really good. You got a Bible program in front of you too. No. That's so good. <laughs> anyway, we, so, so so it's it's so when we talk about the the um, uh, names nope, of God right. or descriptions right. in this case of God, right? It is important that we know that these do not limit God. No. Um, and secondarily, it's important that we know God must first and foremost be self-revealed. Right. Um, no one can just seemly um, um, uh, ascertain God. God must necessarily reveal himself. That's going to bring us a good point because sometimes people want to define God in their own in their own way or terminology rather than God revealing himself, right? They want to put on, well, here's what God's like. And God says, no, 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 let me get reviewed to what I'm like, you know, and which is, um, which is why we use the Holy Scripture for, for that, to, to re- a full disclosure of the nature of God. Um, but it's interesting how sometimes we can look at an attribute of God or a name of God and not realize that yet that's just one, one aspect of who God is. And he's, he's many things at one time, but he is, he's like, he is... It's almost like he is he is noble to the to the infant and the lamb, uh, but he's also he's unknowable in a sense that you will never exhaust our knowledge of God, right? Absolutely, I, I think it's important to say, and and you bring up this idea of the simplicity of God, that God right. is absolutely whole and right. non-divisible. Right. So frankly, when we speak of, I prefer the language of perfections for attributes, but when we speak of the perfections of right. God. Um, uh, to speak of one is to really speak of all, right? Right, because you cannot divide or separate one from the other, right? Um, secondarily, when we're talking about God, I think the early fathers, both the Western fathers and the Eastern right. fathers, uh, right, give us um, apophatic theology and right. cataphatic theology. Right, right. Apophatic is that which we cannot say about God, or we must speak in negative right. terms what He's, God is not. Right. And then cataphatic from, you know, catechesis or catechism, right. that which we can teach and say affirmatively about God. Right. And we really do need both of those. Right. But we should realize that none of those 
are exhaustive about God. And by the way, we don't mean that by saying that it's not exhaustive, we don't mean that there are other truths and other religions. Right. So I want to make sure that we remove that. What right. we mean is God is so infinite that that to speak concerning him, we may speak truly. We may speak biblically. Um, thus, we may speak accurately, but we can never speak exhaustively. Right. Because That's um, what I'm saying. he's unfathomable. Right. Right. Which is interesting for the believer when we get to heaven. I mean, we're going to spend eternity still. I mean, he's an eternal God, so we're going to spend eternally Absolutely. <laughs> getting to know, uh, which is going to be profoundly um, wonderful. You know, you'll never get bored in heaven. Let's just put it that way. There's no, you're, you'll never get to the point where you think you, you've reached the end of the knowledge of God, which is interesting. Some people on earth think they have done that, and so they, they think they've known all aspects of God and go into the... And not realizing you've you've stuck yourself into a rut of of predictability of what you think God's like, and God says, "Wait, wait my ways are above your ways. My on my thoughts are above your thoughts." Um, so it's 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 going to be. Um, you get the point. Anyway, I'm I'm thinking about how oftentimes when we think about attributes of God, or what you said, perfections of God. Um, that oftentimes they're they're put as very abstract. Um, ideas, right? Yes. But I think when I when I read scripture, though that's that's true. I th and I think a lot of the attributes that we we, we have are come from Plato, Plato's ideas. Um, I believe that a lot of the attributes or perfections, whatever you want to call them, um, are more relatable or relational. You know, there's obviously the um, the, the the communicable attributes versus the non communicable attributes, right? But there's something relational about where you have within within the person of Christ, within this child that's given. You have you have this, in one sense, the unknowable God, or this this God that is infinite. You know, or may we use the word transcendent? Transcendent God, rather, who has now who has now become very tangible. Let's say you know, or imminent, imminent, near, and near, transcendent. Yeah, transcendent, way above. You know, you can see my hands. Hands are way up. You know. My, my point is, is oftentimes people think of God in very abstract terms that are not relatable or personal. Whereas in the person of Christ, you have you have you have that answered. You have that uh, brought. The, the 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 word became flesh, so to speak. You know, and I think what happens if we have our discussion about the nature of God, and if it's so abstract that it's you know God is all powerful, great. But now I have this person who is you know. Who's, who I can relate to, you know, in the person of Christ, um, I think that's significant because God wants to be known and desires for his, 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 his people, to, you know, for his people to know him, that he would come down and take, and take on flesh, you know, and become a person. And, you know, that's sort of relatable to, uh, to you and I, you know, I can't relate to abstract ideas, right? I can't relate to certain features of God, but I, but now you've got this baby, this child, right? That's given, who has who's God that is tangible? I guess you could say, you know, and and I love that because we can get lost in a lot of the abstract ideas of God, rather than forget that it's God's a person. He's three persons in one, and and person speaks of relatability or relational uh, ideas, you know. Yes, and so. I don't know if I lost you or not, but... No, no, no. I, I think what you're saying is when we talk about the transcendency, namely the superiority, the altogether otherness, yeah. not so other that he is uninvolved right. or, or, or is aloof, as yeah. it were. No, he's imminent. He's involved within his creation, but in the stately being of God. Um, classic theologues have described his perfections. And by the way, the reason why we use the term perfections right. is because the attributes are not additions to God's character. They are not divisible within God's character. They are not increasing or decreasing right, in right. God's character. Uh, this is what God is eternally. And He's all of his attributes at the same time, yes. equally and everything else. Yeah. Yes. And and um, his his um, his perfections are are distinct from his functions. Um, each person of the Trinity has the perfections, but not each person of the Trinity functions in the same right. way. Right. 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 And so we we necessarily separate the perfections of God from the functionality of God. Uh, each person of the Trinity is capable of right. of operating. So I don't want to put limits in that area. But when we're when we're talking about that 
sometimes people and, and we're not against abstract no. um, because the high and holy sublime truths concerning god are certainly worthy of musing upon right but but even god has undertaken great effort and great care to make himself um, um known to us well it's well the, paul says the, the 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 all the fullness of the deity dwells in christ right yes all, uh, the full- in, in other words all that god is in nature right he's not saying that god the father dwells in him or god no. the holy spirit and some some in certain right like right. modalistic no uh, no persuasions we, would, we, we are trinitarian yeah. yes but but if you look at christ you have you have all of the god all you know the, he is fully god and fully man right and which is wonderful but my thinking here is and i'm transitioning to to where it says for his name will be called it's interesting when god reveals his name in different context of scripture um you think back to the um uh you think well i'm thinking of the exodus but even before the exodus um jacob is wrestling you know with the the angel and he says what's your name why do you ask my name? You know, and 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 of course they have this discussion, and, you know, and uh, or discussion with um, with Gideon, you know, with the angel of his, but uh, or with Moses uh, after the Exodus, you know, who 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 do I tell who is sending me to to Egypt and to the Pharaoh? He goes, well, tell him I am sent to you, right? And of course that name and the different names of God. It's interesting here in Isaiah. It's it's his name is now taking on these features right a wonderful counselor your mighty god eternal father prince of peace the 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 how god's name fits the need oftentimes or how god's name fits the um the need of of that moment the need of you know of what's uh, what they're facing you know and and so i i think it's interesting how how um earlier in isaiah there's a text about um uh, his, uh, about a child that will be born that's called Emmanuel, right? Mm-hmm. God is with us. And in that context, you know, um, Isaiah is sent to Ahaz, King Ahaz, and, and uh, hey, listen, trust in, the, you know, trust in God, you know, you know, if you trust in me, I'll, you know, and, and they'll be, and, and ask me for a sign. God says to, uh, to, uh, to Ahaz, hey, ask me for a sign. And I, Ahaz says, um, I'm not going to ask God for a sign, you know, and God says, I'll give you a sign anyway. And he talks about the virgin, you know, will be with child, and his name will be, you know, Emmanuel, God with us. And that fit the need that they needed to know, the reassurance, the comfort that they would get knowing that God was with them in this very difficult situation with the Assyrians coming or something, you know. But here now you have this, the need of the moment, this, you know, the wonderful counsel of mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace, which we... Maybe we're, we we don't live in that time period. Maybe we're not facing the same thing. But those names are significant, and those titles are significant. I think even today, you know, to people living today. But maybe we can we can talk about that, you know. And Absolutely, I'm so glad that you brought up the the um, pretext because it sets this text, yeah. John, in a military context, right? And and the larger pericope is from, as I recall, Isaiah chapter number seven all the way through uh, Isaiah chapter number nine, uh, uh, verse number seven or thereabout. Right. And so the larger section is is that. And this is part of the teased out sign uh, that God is going to give to Ahaz, uh, the wicked I said king. Ahaz, Ahaz. <laughs> Kinsintite. <laughs> it's part of that larger uh-huh. <laughs> part of that larger teased out context. Right. Of course, we you you and I both know um, that the Emmanuel text has implications in his day. Right. Um, that is non-divine. Um, uh, the the means by which the victory is going to come in that way, right. it will have been clear that God was with them. Right. So the child is named in consistency with that. But then there is a later on plurao, a filling, filling up of in this that, right. that will Matthew's be articulated in, uh, articulated in Matthew chapter number one, right? right? So that whereas this is a young lady who will be with child, eventually it's going to be a virgin right. and nothing more than a virgin who is going to be with child in right. a unique way. And, right. and we most certainly can refer to him in divinity as God with us. But, but when you get to this particular text, uh, this particular text um, seems to 
be a text that 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 teases this out in in a far more clear manner right uh, because it teases it out in a manner uh, that that names a child in a manner where it it leaves it leaves no other uh, um, uh, concept of interpretation right. but to see this one as a divine person right right which is very true because initially back in chapter seven the Emmanuel was the immediate context is fulfilled with some somebody's wife, perhaps perhaps Isaiah's wife. We, we're not certain, but somebody's going to have a baby, and they're going to name it Emmanuel. And every time you hear Emmanuel, Emmanuel being called, here you know it's a reminder: God's with us. God's with us. Whereas there's there isn't a direct correlation between that Emmanuel and being divine. Whereas in Matthew, of course, the fulfilling of Scripture, the Plerao, you have now He is with us now for real. But here in this Isaiah nine six context, it's now it's now a child that has there's just more than just a child, <laughs> a child that's going to be called Mighty God, you know, and, and Eternal Father. So, which is impressive in and of itself. But I think John, we should say something about the concept of names in yeah, the yeah. ancient Near East, right? Yeah. Um, in Hebrew, you have the term shame. Shame. And, Don't and, shame his name. That's why I remember in Hebrew. <laughs> yes. And in uh, regulative or Septuagintal Greek, as well as in Koine Greek, you have the term anoma or anomite, if you will. And that is the term for name. Right. And and so this concept of name had great significance, right? right. There were there were several reasons for a name in the ancient Near East. And uh, uh, one was names were given, um, first of all, to describe character or characteristics. Right. Um, of the individual, right? right? And so you would have something like uh, Yahav, which is he's going to be a heel grabber. Jacob, yeah. Right? Or, or you would have Adam, his, literally his name was human. Right. I mean, you know, um, and or Chava for Eve, right? Uh, living or right. from Chaim, right? right? Um, the mother of all living. Um, so names could be well, descriptive of characteristics it, or traits. It, and characteristics that that they would fulfill in life. Jacob, right. of course. Jacob actually lives up to his name because uh, he is a, well, he'll a catch heel your, or a, 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 <laughs> he trips up people and deceives them. And of course... But of course, some names are some names are given in the the situation of their birth, right? Yes. Um, yes. The the circumstances of how they were born. I think uh, Benjamin, his, the way his name, son of my right hand. Yeah. Right, Benjamin. But the 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 mother had given him a previous name, son of my pain. Right. And, right. And the father says, "Oh no, no let's let's right because switch that quickly." So that's significant that the names are. It's not just you know in, we think in you know what at least in America we often name. Often it's just named because it's what's the most popular name, what's going to sound good, but names have significance as to what what um, the character of the person may be, or maybe what you desire the person to be, or, or yes, or the significance of a an event, right, right, right. an event that is so um, uh, profound, right, that 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 person is given a name within that uh, within that moment. Like for instance, if you look at the event that happened. Um, in uh, the just at the period of the judges when you are in one Samuel right. and uh, Eli or Eli the priest the high, the Cohen Gadol right. the high priest right? right when he's ninety some years old he's overweight frankly at that point he had not disciplined his sons who are also priests you and, know what? it's too many Christmas cookies he was having it was just like <laughs> <laughs> and, and his sons go to war and take the ark right. uh, as a as a talisman or as an omen if you will as a good, good Charm. charm, yeah. And uh, when they do so, uh, God had had made arrangements that they would not survive this battle um, because they were they were sons of Belial. They were wicked men, right? And so, under that circumstance, then God allows them to be killed. And uh, then, um, uh, when the when the wife of of one of the sons is birthing a child in that moment because of the trauma, she goes into instant labor. Right. And when she goes into instant labor, she names the child Ichabod. Right, Ichabod, yeah. uh, the glory has, has gone, and of course Eli falls over backward and breaks his neck. Yeah. So sometimes you have children that have names because of the impact of either a wonderful event right. or or a traumatic event but, within Scripture. But, but names and naming of people were significant, and there was great weight given to the name because of the character 
characteristics of the events, the person, the whole, you know. But here now you have this 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 son, this child who is going to be named some pretty weighty names. Or this is extraordinarily. This weighty. isn't just. I mean, this is not found in your top one hundred names. You're going to name your baby this year. You know, it's this is he will be called his name. Now this is okay. His name is not like. You know, your CLM John, but these are what his characteristics by which he'll be known by. You know, he'll be yes. called, um, you know, in fact, um, the, back in, in Matthew, um, Matthew 1, where the angel visits Joseph in a dream and says, don't, you know, marriage with a child, with child by the Holy Spirit. And you'll, she'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his, from, from their sins. You know, his actual name was Jesus. But the significance of his name is salvation, right? And right. so... Yahweh is our salvation. Yahweh is our salvation. So the name, the characteristics here of this child, this 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 baby that's going to be born, that's not just going to... Even before the names, it talks about how the government will rest on his shoulders. There's, there's, some, there's some big, big, big shoes this child is going to fill. So this is, this is, this is not... This is pay attention. This is something significant, you know, with with these names. Yeah, if you if you look at at this particular text, John, um, ki yeled yulad, right? For for a child, a child will be born, right? Right, um, and so this this particular language that you see in here, actually in in, in Hebrew, Hebrew rather, speaks in the perfect. Uh, even though this child has not yet been born, right? Many times, grammatically, the prophets would speak in the perfect tense. Um, as though something had already occurred, because what they were arguing was, it is as good as done. It's as good as done, right? And so he's going to speak in in perfects here um, to 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 argue emphatically that from the mind of God within the framework of the redemptive program, this is as good as established. This is as good as done. And and when he says that this child um, has been born to us. Um, I, I think it's important because this language of yeled yulad um, um, argues Child, for son. Yes, yeah. yes, ar- argues for the vulnerability and the humanity, <clears throat> if you will. Interesting of 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 whomever this person is, and of course we will, as we come in progressive revelation, we yeah. will know, come to know whom this who this is. But what's impressive is <clears throat> you're talking about um, infinite divinity being born that's let's just pause there for a second because that 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 tells you a lot first of all you have a mighty god eternal father right prince of peace coming wrapped in human human flesh flesh as a baby yeah think about that you have mighty god (laughs) (laughs) eternal father prince of peace wonderful counselor wrapped in flesh as a baby in the vulnerability of, of, of a child. You have the the power, the might, the majesty, the fill in the adjective you want and everything else. But then you have the vul- the coming in a very humble, vulnerable, vulnerable, simple way. Yeah, th- this is one of the reasons why I would argue, and and most theologians <clears throat> don't touch on this, and most believers f- fail to see this, but this makes God the most humble being. I I, I absolutely love that's that's my that's my that was where I was is the humility of a of an all powerful God. Yeah, because when we when we have the doctrine of His transcendency, His superiority, His altogether otherness, right? We also have the doctrine of His condescending, right? Condescending, yeah. Which which is He came lower than anyone. See, here's what's interesting. Now think about this. Whenever a human being, now just think about this. If you're listening, whenever a human being comes into a position of power, right? The what is the most challenging thing that happens? But when with with great position and power comes oftentimes pride and and a tendency to want to overbear and rule and dominate, right? Yes. You give somebody with a position, any position, and oftentimes there's a tendency for it to go to their head, right? And for them to rule in a very prideful, serve me type of way. 
But here is the almighty God. Yes. Coming with great humility, which tells me, of course, his whole approach. Uh, it's, you're, I mean, I don't know about you. It's easier to approach a God who is, has humility. And this sounds very strange to say, CL. But it's easier to, to approach somebody who's humble than who's somebody who's prideful. Even though God himself deserves, God gets all the glory, but the approachability of this child where he's God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, coming as a baby, condescending himself from, from the heights of heaven, from being at the right hand of God the Father, right? Down to this, down to being this child that, that speaks, that in one sense it makes God approachable and um what's the word i'm looking for like like there's this invitation he's like, very personable personable he's very intimate he's very inviting he's very winsome um it, most royalty you cannot touch no um but but this this is something quite profound about god and an interesting scripture just just to read it very quickly john and and certainly you're familiar with this but in Ephesians chapter number four, um, verse number nine, um, now this expression, he, ascend, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, right. some individuals have fallaciously saw that as his descent into hell. Um, that's a discussion yeah. for a different no. day, but... Jesus didn't descend into hell. This is hell. speaking of his first coming. Absolutely. Uh, the first advent is what we refer first to it advent, as, right? Yeah. And and he didn't descend into hell. That would have been double jeopardy. And in fact, he even argues on the cross that he didn't do right, that right. and wasn't going Today to Today you'll be with me in paradise. Right. Um, um, so, so with this, however, when you're looking at the text, he ascended. What does it mean except that he also uh, had descended into the lower parts of the earth um, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. In other words, Scripture argues that this is a major coming and a major lowering, and so it is a mark of profound humility. Yes. Profound humility. And, and I think sometimes we forget the little markers of humility that are, are placed for us all along the road of the first advent. Um, but, but, you know, even, even in his coming as, as a baby, right, um, uh, he comes in uh, a, a small town, right. Nazareth, right, when, 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 um, the, when uh, he literally fills the womb, right, right because I consider that to be He's when conceived. he is conceived, his conception is a coming, his coming in the flesh, right? right? His life as a human begins at the moment of conception. conception. And then he comes to another small town to be born, and that is Bethlehem, Bethlehem right? Um, and he's raised in a small town in Nazareth, Na yeah. right? But Can then, anything good come on Nazareth? Right, but he does his ministry for the majority of his ministerial career in a small town, Galilee. In, um, in Capernaum and uh, right. all Galilee region, um, yeah. And, and, and so you're, you're looking at these things, but then also he comes and he's laid in a feeding trough. This is not how you would have received one, but yet God... God the Father designs the whole scenario as one of humility, but, and so but now that's here, quite profound to here, me. Here, but here's what's interesting, too, because if we're going to tie in the, the humility of this child, the language of the, the verse, wonderful counselor, mighty God, is in the context of, of a battle or a fight. Yes. Now this think is, about this that. This is God's let's, warrior. Let's, this is God's warrior, who doesn't come with pomp and circumstance, doesn't come with beating his chest like he's King Kong or Tarzan, Tarzan or whatever. He comes hum hum humbly, but he's God's mighty, he's mighty God. He's God's, he's the warrior God. Yes. Literally mighty, mighty Gabor, the yeah. warrior God. El Gabor. El Gabor. Mm -hmm. That's, you don't nor normally associate might and valiant warriors with humility. You don't normally put those two together. In fact, hum to a, the average human mind, humility looks weak. Yes, to the Roman mind, to the Roman, it looked weak. It, it looked weak. 
to, to even people today. Okay, who, who do you vote for to be your leader? Do you vote for the humble, um, quiet guy, you know, the very humble, gracious person? Or do you vote for the person who's full of themselves and full of, I want somebody that's full of confidence, right? And usually those people are full of confidence, are full of pride, right? And arrogance. You've, no, we're not. But here God joins the two of humility with might. Right. That's significant because now God is going to accomplish through his, huma- his humility what the most prideful person can never accomplish in a million years. And that's going to be the salvation of, of, of people. But this, the, the, t- the joining of the two is significant, I believe, the, um, the mighty God and the humility of God joined in one person in Christ. Absolutely. When, when I look at this, a child is born, yeah. right? So we have we have a time parameter. Um, uh, of course, this can be articulated as well in in John chapter one, verse number fourteen. And the Word became flesh. There's a point in time when a child was born. Um, uh, but the eternal facet of the text, then, but he was a son given because the eternality of the Son is articulated as well in John chapter number one, right? In Arche Ein Halagas, right. in beginning, always existing, right? It's the imperfect form of the present tense <clears throat> verb, a me, to be. Right. And so there was never a time when the Son was not. And so as it pertains to his eternality, a Son is given. Right. But as it pertains to his humanity, a child is born. Right. So we see that, that paradox, that irony, here within this first phrase, right, which is quite profound. But you know, when we get to the, the so the first thing where it says uh, uh, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful Counselor. That's a couplet in Hebrew. That's right. why we're not saying not, Wonderful, comma Counselor. Right. We we see that as as a phrase that highlights it, it that highlights something about him we look at it in the hebrew text and, and see it as a couplet right and we, so. we can we can think about wonderful well, a couple of ways we can think about wonderful counsel Look, obviously in in the, the idea in hebrew is his counsel is is um beyond um it's unusual it's beyond human normal um wisdom let's say a- absolutely it's um it's um, beyond hu- human capabilities, right? Let's, you know, wonderful, the idea of this wonderful, uh, marvelous counsel he's given us, but that's not divorced from the mighty God, which means in the context of facing a great, powerful enemy, a very difficult, difficult situation where all of wisdom of man is falling short, here is this mighty God who comes with wonderful counsel to help achieve that victory it's interesting how how it's he starts this he starts off the 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 um description of this child with somebody that has that has wisdom beyond um not beyond their years but beyond uh um, human capacity, let's say. Absolutely. The, the the term, as I recall in the Hebrew text, is pele, pele. yoetz, right? Yeah. And and this this phraseology argues, I, I think um, the, the idea is an extraordinary strategist right. trying to highlight a specific kind of right. intelligentsia, right? Right. Like, like, um, like military strategy, right. cunning, divine cunning that does not have evil. And the term that he is Pele, this particular term is used for miraculous, mighty accomplishments in in contexts of war in the First Testament. Right. And so when this child uh, is looked at, um, this Yeled, uh, he's looked at as one who will be an extraordinary, unusual military strategist. But think about this. Think now. This this this. We know, of course. Christ comes as a child. Ultimately, he's coming to go to the cross, right? And the ultimate victory, the ultimate battle, right? The ultimate war is obviously uh, with with sin, right? It's with 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 Satan, and from Genesis three, from the fall, and ever since then, there has been we have had no answer to to the problem of sin, to the problem of fall. We live in a fallen world still, and what's interesting is the wisdom of God that would have a humble 
child, a humble man, Jesus, who would live a humble life and subject himself to the beatings of the cross and the 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 the, the sacrifice and, the, and all the you know all the physical and everything everything else, the rejection that God would be so wise as to use that to achieve victory and defeat over the enemy. And what's interesting is that the enemy probably thought he had victory when he killed Jesus, when in fact he was fulfilling the wisdom of God to bring defeat of, of Satan himself, you know. And that's interesting how, how God, how the, the wisdom of God was so um, profound to, to do that. And this is where I think we're, we're in going into, into the birth of Christ, that, uh, that, that no situation that the that most dire of situations that man found himself in was was solved by by God in a simple child that was born at Christmas. Well, well, first of all, John, it shows a pattern throughout Scripture, right? Yeah. Um, um, you you prepare to beat Egypt, the superpower of the world, and how do you do it? You slip an atomic baby in on them, have them raise the baby, educate the baby. Um, the baby has to run for his life. He doesn't, in the highlight of his strength, about the age of 40, he doesn't take on the kingdom, right? He wants to, but he's not ready according to God's estimation and according to God's strategy. So when does he come back? He comes back as an 80-year-old man in order to lead the people out. That's strategy. Or or when you have a a Gideon. Let's just pause at Moses there for a second. You send an old man with a staff, with an old man with a stick, and you basically upend the the, the empire of Egypt. Yeah, with an eighty year old man and a stick. I, I don't blame Egypt. I wouldn't put that in my annals of history either. <laughs> it's uh, it, that that's that's when you think you've achieved. When you think you're at, you've got. I'm so usable right now. I'm I'm at my best. No, it is when you are at your utter weakest, most God, unless you show up, God has to be the ultimate difference maker in your life. When you are in that place of humility and dependency, where it's no question that it's God, Gideon. Absolutely. Or, or, or for instance, not only with Gideon, but with Joshua, I never would have sent an army to walk around a wall several times. And then here's your climactic moment. Shout. That's probably not going to be my strategy. I'm I'm just envisioning these people watching around the world. They have pots and pans in their hand or clanging it. I mean, who does that? Right. Who does that? Or, Or with, or with Gideon, who lessens the numbers in an army? To still getting no no still too many no 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 still too many Go, no you know down to three hundred yeah and, and and then you thousands? tell them put your lamps under pots and and surround the enemy and then break them and then yell this and and the enemy starts to rout themselves and then you're able to to overtake them and kill and 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 uh, pick up the spoils of war in other words what i'm suggesting is god shows a pattern of being an extraordinary strategist yeah. throughout scripture so that the psalter says he teaches my hands to war right right and and you take a 17 year old and you defeat someone who is nine foot who is known as a, a, a who is known himself as a gibor right right, right. He, he is a warrior a right. trained warrior right. a scarred warrior and and you you fail to take the the king of Israel and put him out against this fellow. Yeah, Saul was supposed to be one the one leading the Israelites. Absolutely, absolutely. But but the divine strategist knows what he's doing. And and I think, John, there's a good point of application. Great point. Um, uh, because um, I don't want to sit at God's table and pretend that I I am capable of standing over his military prowess and yeah. strategy in yeah. my own life. Yeah. And, and I must admit, in, in humility and in sin, I am oft guilty of saying, no, no, Lord, here's a better way right. to do that. Yeah, that, I think that brings into, I think it's the ultimate lesson as a believer. It's a lesson he's, he's his teach. it's like he teaches uh, teaches me every week because I got to preach, preach the word every week, and every, which is wonderful because um, I am not the most eloquent person. Um, I'm not the most learned person. Um, 
but I know the weeks where I've where I feel like I have nothing, which is most weeks, um, and I am like, Lord, I got not, I got a couple of crumbs, I got two loaves and and a couple of loaves and a couple of fish, maybe you know. Those are the times where you're like, wow, where did that come from? Well, mm. that was the Lord, and it's almost like it's a it's a continual lesson in my life of the more that you have to lean on the Lord, the more He'll come through, and what happens is is sometimes it takes a long time to get to that point of, okay, God, let's try it your way, you know? Because human nature wants to say, I want to be in charge. I want to control things. Well, you know, if we did this, then we'll, we'll, we'll be in a better circumstance if we do that. And really, at the end of the day, God delights to prove himself strong to those who want to, to those who will lean on him, depend on him. And it wasn't the, uh, you know, with Gideon or Joshua, it wasn't, you know, oh, um, the, 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 the loudness of their shouts that brought the walls down no. had nothing to do with that. It was the God who they believed, they trusted in. And, and here, that's, that's, this is a principle of, of the kingdom of heaven is, is those who depend on the Lord, who wait on the Lord, who trust in the Lord, they'll, they'll be renewed. And they're, they'll, those are the ones who God will come through. And it's a simple lesson. It's, and it's, it's exemplified in the child being born on Christmas who comes in humility, who comes with great, in God's great wisdom to accomplish something that no man or empire on this earth could ever, ever, ever have done. And that is the victory uh, which Christ accomplished on the cross over sin and death and hell. And yes. I, I think that's profound. I, I would simply call our listeners to trust his strategy in your mm. life. Um, to, to believe that God knows what he's talking about. Yeah. To, to look in the family photo album and look at how his strategy has worked for the family of faith and to know that in this day of COVID, in this weird year of politics, yeah. in this weird year overall, God is up to something. His strategy is at play. And, and he hasn't invited... <laughs> It's going to sound so terrible, you know, he, I know there are a lot of voices claiming that they know what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they refer to themselves as prophetic voices. Yeah. Um, I would, I would caution in that area Yeah. because one of the things that really irritates me, okay, this is my soapbox. So let me, okay. you know, stand you away from this, John, so <laughs> okay. you remain safe. So I get the letters. Isaiah didn't have to then um, write afterward and explain why um, his first prophecy didn't work out exactly the way that... I don't want people to be taken advantage of in their minds. God doesn't always share his strategy with any human being. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, right? and I think we need to admit there are some secret things that God is up to, and and we don't need supposed prophetic voices trying to. And I say that in humility. Listen, I'm not being cruel or callous, but we don't need them trying to finagle and and go in and say, you know, thus says the Lord, because that takes great weight. Be careful. Weight. Be and, careful. Yeah, and there are consequences according to Deuteronomy for misusing that phraseology. Um, in the First Testament, and of course, thank God by His mercy and grace for any of us that He doesn't come down on us harshly for misspeaking in that way today. Um, but, but my statement is, even though God hasn't let us in on the secret things, right. we should trust God's strategy and know um, just because I don't know doesn't mean God doesn't know. Right. And, and, and I should walk with Him by faith uh, when I can't necessarily trace what he's doing, he's proven trustworthy. Yeah, would, he's, he's a great, no, he is the strategist. God, God reserves to right to not let you know what he's doing. He does. In fact, I, I'm thinking of um, even Jesus. Um, he probably knows this now, but at the time they asked Jesus, you know, is this the time, you know, you're going to establish, you know, the kingdom. Yeah, Acts back. chapter number one, verse number eight. And he goes, uh, it's not for you to know the times or epics that, 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 that the Father has, has established or ordained. And, and they're, they're, it's okay for us not to know, but if we know enough about, the Lord has shown himself faithful enough times 
in enough ways where we can see the pattern of his faith. And he knows what he's doing. First of all, this year of COVID didn't catch God by surprise. No. Nothing has happened outside of his sovereign control. Nothing has happened. Nothing has surprised him. He is ultimately in control of your life, my life, and and, uh, and all of history is going according to his plan. And... Um, and so, yeah, trusting him, relying on him, and and waiting on him, and and leaning leaning on him heavily. Well, back to back to the text where it says his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, you have this Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I think of Jesus as the Prince of Peace, but I don't, you have this now. You have this other person of the Trinity going there. That the Eternal Father. You have something that's. It's, so that deserves some explanation. Yes, right? and, because and by the way, we're skipping quite a bit. Um, we are well um, because of time. Which absolutely. Perhaps we could do a part two um, yeah. um, for more. We're, we're normally we. I mean, okay. Let's speak. Let's be honest. Normally, you <laughs> you, you want to go through every single syllable. <laughs> no, John, you you skipped a yod there in the Hebrew. <laughs> no, no, no. That, oh, that's so good. That that. That hat that you skipped, <laughs> you know. The details matter. The details John. matter. I yeah, know, but you know, I'm listening to. I'm thinking, but I'm thinking just because we're thinking about in the context of a Christmas, in context of of Christ, of Jesus Christ, who's born, who is who is more than just a baby in a manger. He is God Himself. The the text refers to him as this is what he will be called or described at right El Gibor. He is the mighty the, God, the, the warrior God. <clears throat> the warrior I, I prefer God. that translation, the warrior God. I love God. that. Um, um, and of course, that is certainly in with, consistency with him being the extraordinary strategist, right? right. N- now, the reason why is because you know a lot of strategists like generals right. who won't necessarily be directly in the war. Right. But this particular general is not only a strategist, he's, he's a, a fighter. He's like, he's, jo- a, he's a warrior. Joshua met him. Joshua said, are you with us or are you? No. <laughs> right. It's, you know, it's, and he's the captain. I just love the scene in Revelation where he comes on a, on a horse, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and this majestic um, presentation of, of our, of the Lord Jesus. Um, and of course he's victorious. And uh, this warrior God who, who is, who, just with the 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 words he speaks, the 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 the, the of his mouth can just you know change this everything and yeah you and, know it, let me let me make a theological statement that is not intended to be a political statement, but it can certainly veer into that area. Yeah, our God is not a pacifist. No, that's that's a very good point because he he um he he uh, he took it to the devil. Let's just put it that way. Um, I'll let you finish your your stuff. No, I, I no, I think I think I think you're fine in finishing that for me, John. But but he's not. He's he doesn't he doesn't register as I am a non-combatant. No, he is our combatant. He is. He's our he's our our warrior. He's our he's our victor. He's he is he is the one. How can you how can you set those free uh, that were bound by the strong man unless you first bind the strong man, the strong man being the devil, those who are uh, sl- sl- uh, slaves to the devil, those who are uh, who are who are in his dark kingdom, Jesus sets free because how? Because he binds the strong man and sets the captives free. You want Jesus to be. I think it's interesting that when he cast out demons, the Greek says that he threw the demons out. Yes, it's a very violent it's word. It's a very violent word. It was like, like we we think of Jesus, you know, as this little baby that's helpless. But now he grows up to be this warrior, this warrior, this warrior God, who who seeks those who are lost, who seeks those who are in bondage, seeks those who are in darkness. Um, and in order to set a, in order to be free from darkness, you need you need a, a savior who is stronger than the one who's holding you. Absolutely, you want the Lord to be a warrior. 
the Bible refers to him as a man of war, yes. right? In, in the book of Joshua, he appears as the captain of the Lord's army, or right. Yahweh Sebeol. Of the Lord of hosts, right? yeah. Um, captain um, of the army And host. so I think it's important. In fact, he is a warrior who we see in the book of Revelation who comes back, and he already has blood on his garments. Yeah. By the way, the blood of victory on his garments before he's ever fought um, in the Battle of Armageddon, Armageddon to yeah. end that yeah. is his own blood. In other right. words, his own blood spilt is the victory. Right. Um, um, and so I think it's very important that we recognize he is the warrior king. And yeah. wasn't that wasn't that the the um, responsibility of yeah. the sovereign or the monarch in the ancient Near East to first lead the people out in battle? Um, um, not just to sit back privileged, right. but to lead them out right. in battle to victory, both to defend and also to extend the parameters of the kingdom. And so what we see here in this text is he is the El Gibor. He is the warrior God. Yes. Or, or, or if we can reverse that, who is your warrior? Right. God is. Who is your warrior? God that's is. That's profound. That is profound. Yeah. I think it's interesting where, because uh, we'll, we'll finish up in a few minutes here with it says eternal father. No, it, it was the it was the father's plan, right, to send the son. It was it was this, you know, he's called the eternal father as far as the name. Um but this plan of God to to bring redemption to mankind, that was in the the, the mind of in the um conscience of God, the mind of God, let's put it that way. Um before, you know, when eternity passed or whatever God, you know, whatever time period that is um, his his wisdom to have this this whole thing play out, um, we, and that's that's what we see. And as Jesus says, "I do nothing unless it's something I see the Father do. I don't speak anything unless the Father uh, says it." I you know, and I come to do the Father's will. Right? I, it's not my um, my my plan or my will. I'm doing. It's my Father's will. And ultimately, this child, Jesus, who's born, who's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, he ultimately submits himself to the Father's will to, to accomplish the Father's plan of redemption and salvation of mankind. That's all wrapped up in this child. This whole, this whole I mean, he's worthy of worship. Let's just put it that way. Worthy of worship, even just for these, these names that we have here, these descriptions of, of the Godhead, descriptions of what this child would be. Um, yeah, we could spend. When I look at this phraseology, I want to be very careful with our audience so that they don't mishear us. Yeah, um, this text is not modalistic. It's not Sabellianistic. It's it, mo- not monarchist. Well, right? I know what that means. You're right. Right. So, so this text is not saying that you have. Um, uh, one person in the Trinity, right, which would not be and Trinitarian, and, and he wears three different masks, right, right. and and so he plays d- three different modes, right? right. He plays the Father here, he plays the Son here, he plays the Holy Spirit there. No. That is not what is being said. In fact, this is a descriptive phrase that we know was employed in Phoenician texts and things of that nature. Um, and so, what we have here is is well first of all if in fact what we were arguing would be uh, modalistic then that would be theologically problematic and so we don't want to do that here's what what this phrase is used to bespeak of when it is in phoenician texts as, as best as i recall yeah and that is when he brings his military protection or when he brings his sovereign kingship he is one who is like an eternal father right in other words it was a phrase that spoke of the covering and protection right that one brought um um in seen to the care of those under his auspices as right. it were right um and a specific kind of auspices namely a ruler or a king's auspices right. or a protector's right auspices. as you think of a father protector yeah. and so so the, the phraseology is in keeping with, he is, first of all, an extraordinary military tr- strategist. He is the warrior God. Right. But he is one who covers like a father right. from eternity right. over those who are most vulnerable right. in his efforts of war. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. No, it's interesting because we're thinking about the, uh, we're thinking about the order of these, of these uh, couplets, of these, these names, wonderful counsel. And this, we've 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 talked about the humility uh, of the son, the humility of this uh, of this this child, who is of course God, but speaking in the context of this this battle, this warrior, 
it's interesting how he ends Prince of Peace. Mm. And that ultimately speaks of his success. Mm. Right? Yes. Because he speak because he's because he establishes peace. Why? Because he has now been victorious over the enemy that he has uh um, drawn up the council, the the wise plans to to fight against, and he's been war, mighty in battle and and valiant in, in battle. He is protecting his 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 children, his sheep, uh, as a father would. But he's ultimately victorious and is able to establish peace. Peace is not peace isn't just so we think of peace as you know peace treaty, you know the stopping of war. No, this is this is defeating the victory so there's no more war any anymore this is he's been victorious he has established peace by his victory he's accomplished what he set up for to do it, to rephrase what you said first of all the hebrew text is tsal shalom yes right yes he's the prince of peace of shalom right yeah. um um but but with that john the idea that should be understood when one reads this is he brings peace in the context by means of war. Right. Um, he is the he is the czar of not only peace, but he is the czar of establishing peace. Right. Because the military strategist, who is the warrior god, who is the one who brings under his protection as though he were a father, uh, protecting the most vulnerable, is the one who is able to bring wholeness or right. or peace Shalom. by means of that which he has done or accomplished in war. Right. In other words, what we're looking forward to is not an eternal fight. Right. And so God is fighting the fight now. And the Son of God fought the ultimate battle at the cross in order to establish not temporary peace, but permanent peace. See, you can, you can, interesting how we always, uh, we say, you know, somebody, uh, when they die, we, may they rest in peace. But they can't rest in peace unless they have entered into his victory and his peace he's established. If you are not, a, if you are a believer, you have entered into the peace of God, the peace of Jesus Christ, because of his victory over your enemy, where then you can spend the rest of eternity living in that peace. But if you're not a believer in Jesus, you will spend the rest of eternity at battle. Yes, and, and, and the ideology of peace here is an entering into safety. Yes. And entering into the blessedness of what, what the Bible refers to as a state of prosperity, but but not not the 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 goods that you know many teachers right. concentrate on fallaciously, no. right? Right. But but a prosperity that is seen um, in in these texts when the Bible speaks of a millennial kingdom where things are at rest, yes. where instruments of war, right. not just war, but instruments of war are destroyed right. because they're no longer necessary. He sets at peace. And, and you know what's really interesting about this? Yeah. What's really impressive to me is he doesn't only destroy the instruments at war. He doesn't only destroy war. He destroys the 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 source of what causes all wars right which is sin right so so this prince destroys even the war tendencies within me so that even in eternity i will no longer even be in war right. or be capable of being at war theologically in church history we refer to um the the eschaton the the doctrine of last, last days. days yeah when we were, were referring to a personal eschatology or death, we refer to believers now that are believers at rest. Right. And we refer to ourselves who are here as believers at war. Right. In other words, we yet have our weapons up. There's yet a fight for us to as fight. As long as we're here alive on the earth, yeah. Yes, but, but, but we anticipate when our hands will study war no more. Now, that doesn't mean lethargic or in active hands no because think about what hands and minds at peace can really accomplish yeah what they can really do when we when the brilliance that god has shared with man can be used to build for his glory and under his stately presence what a world that will be yes and so surely it is right of this child that that like the regalia of a king his robe is the government he, right. on his shoulders? On his shoulders, he can have at rest 
the government, all authority, all authority and power. This is no usual child. No, no. I love what it says in, in both in Isaiah and Micah. It says, and he will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares mm. and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. That's accomplished through this child and the peace that that he he is ultimately going to bring on planet Earth. First, what first occurred, of course, by first defeating the enemy on the cross by purchasing salvation for mankind on the cross, that those who would place their faith in him would first become at peace with God, made uh, peace between God and man, as, as the scripture says, but then also then that he would bring wholeness and completeness to a person who, who is a believer, a, a, a rest of the soul, so to speak, that no longer, that those who are believers in Jesus are no longer at war with God. Yes. They have been made peace with God. Yes, there's a there's a battle still to be uh, fought while we against the enemy who doesn't want to give up fighting, but the ultimate the, the ultimate victory of, of on the cross that establishes peace between God and man is significant through this child through Jesus Christ, who came to bring who came to be our warrior, our valiant warrior, to be our protective father in a in a role in that sense, but to bring peace to a person's life, to bring peace between you and God. That's all through Christ. That's all through Christ. I, it, John, so, so many things can be said. Um, and, and scholastically or academically, one of the rules is, if you can't say something better, yeah. then quote that individual who has actually <laughs> stated it well. Um, I, I reach back from 2020 to do theology and community with one Martin Luther in 1529 as he says a mighty fortress is our yes a bulwark never failing our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us well his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sibioth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. May the warrior of heaven, the Einfestberg, the mighty fortress, be our warrior God, not only this season, but forever and ever. May we fall under his safety, realized through his eternal fatherhood expressed in the warrior son. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. 
You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.